Hello, and welcome to the Vivolution podcast. Since starting in late 2016, Vivolution has been creating inspiring events for the plant-powered generation. Each episode of this podcast will share with you stories and ideas told by plant-based thought leaders from the Vivolution stage. Today, we are bringing you a panel discussion from the Vivolution Plant-Based Business Bootcamp on ethics in business. The panel is hosted by Vivolution co-founder Damian Clarkson and features Mike Hill of One Planet Pizza, Amber Fraser and Seb Sokol for Brave, and Jenny Carlisle of Sumer Foods. I'm going to introduce the panel. Today we have Seb and Amber from Brave, an amazing pea snack company. Um, love their products, so it's great to have them on the panel. We've got Mike Hill, um, founder of One Planet Pizza. One Planet Pizza were the first UK vegan company to crowdfund back in 2016. Yeah. Wow, a lot's happened since long then. time ago. It's really feels like old days. Um, and One Planet Pizza are going to be pitching tonight at Pitch and Plant, so you'll see Mike later. And then we've got Jenny from Suma, and Suma are one of are the UK's biggest co-op. Is that correct? One of the UK's biggest co-ops. We're the UK's biggest worker co-op. Okay, and we'll talk talk a bit more about that in a minute. So I'm going to read my questions from my phone. So I'm not actually texting. I'm just sort of like (laughs) being low impact and everything. So, um, okay, let's start with you, Jenny. Uh, What what does it mean to be an ethical business in 2018? I think being an ethical ethical business in um, 2018 is always kind of full of compromise. Unfortunately, um, in, a t- in a way, almost being an ethical business is almost a contradiction in term um, because business in the capitalist machine is not really set up to be ethical and you know, capitalism is not the most ethical system in the world. It is about making money, making profit pretty much at the expense of everything else. Um, but I think being an ethical business is kind of a bit about compromise. I don't think you can be 100% ethical 100% all of the time. And I think you have to choose the things that you're passionate about and the things that you're good at in terms of ethics and really focus on those. I think we've heard a bit about that from Paul just in the previous session about, about plastic and, oh, yes, I, you know, we know about plastic, but we can't. That's the only way to get our viable products to market. And I think that's, I think ethical business is full of compromises and you've got to pick what you're good at and do your strengths and admit and be honest about whether to, honest about the times where you can't be as ethical as you might like and, be, and explain your reasons and not be ashamed of talking about that stuff and having an open conversation about it. Yeah, I agree. What would you, would you say to that, Mike? God, I don't know if I can add anything to that. That was, uh, that was a brilliant Very start. Isn't so, yeah, it? I, I'll pass on this one. Um, it, when you were speaking about that, I thought that sounds like just how being a vegan is actually, isn't it? Yeah. Um, in terms of you know, not getting too hung up, doing the best you can, and accepting that you, you do have to make compromises. I always say it's impossible to be 100% vegan in, in today's world. You know, we're all, if you drive a car, it's probably not vegan in the truest sense of the word. So I think um, running an ethical business is totally about compromises. You've got to focus on what you're best on. So I think in terms of One Planet Pizza, one of the things that we can really focus on is making pizzas healthier. We can focus on the envi- environmental side of the, the packaging. Um, obviously, from our perspective, being the most, one of the most important things is that it's, it's plant-based, and that in ourselves is, is ethical. But it's important to remember that that's not everyone's view of being ethical, is it? You know, there's organisations out there that would say they're, they're ethically farming. Compassion in well farming would be a classic example, wouldn't it? 
they would state that they're an ethical business. So I think we've got to remember that being ethical is um, it's not a constant. It's, it's a sliding scale. It's a sliding it? scale, <laughs> and to complicate it even more, everyone's sliding scale is a different sliding yeah. scale as well. So absolutely, I agree. You've got to focus on what you're really good at and acknowledge, I know what our weaknesses are from a, uh, a business point of view in terms of, of being ethical, and, and you know, we need to focus on that. As the business grows and succeeds, we can focus on them a little bit more. Yeah. It's very difficult in the early days. Um, if you want to get a successful being business up and running, you can't get too hung up at being about as 100% ethical about everything, otherwise it will never get off the ground. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of challenges facing yeah. small businesses when you start out. I, I guess, what, have you guys got anything to add to that? What's ethical business in 2018? Uh, well, I, I think for us it's about relationships, and you've got relationships with people you work with, people who work for you, with the environment, with animals, and basically if you treat those rela relationships with respect and you try not to take advantage of them, I think that's a good starting point for running an ethical business. Yeah, be, always be a giving business, you know, and be offering something to people, not just taking. I think when we talk about capitalism, capitalism in its worst form just takes and it depletes and it doesn't restore. And I think if you're giving back through relationships, through great products, great services, then that's more of an equitable exchange, perhaps. Um, and sort of going on to the next question, do you feel like capitalism's bad? Can we, can we make a profit and still, and still be considered to be ethical? Definitely, yeah, I, I, I'd say for sure. Um, when you look at trying to make a change and trying to create a movement, I think there's multiple different facets and different organizations that need to work together in order to make that happen. And so from a vegan perspective, you have kind of activists, um, education, non-for-profits, and then you need business in order to kind of move that, that, that movement forwards as well. And I think as long as you are kind of aware of your impact as a business and trying to look at every element and being aware of, of how you can improve and, and maybe where you have to make some compromises, then um, I think that that's, that's probably a really good start in terms of building an ethical business and uh, making a profit as part of an ethical business. That's, that's sort of what is going to keep that business going forwards and, and, and keep that business um, making a change, basically. How about Mike? You're, you're an old school hippie, so yeah, I'm, I'm chewing up a bit. <laughs> I, I, I'd love, to, I'd, I'd love to get into a capitalism versus yes, uh, you know, debate here because, <laughs> because I, I have to say I don't know if it was anyone at the last uh, Vevolution event when with Matthew from Veganuary did his presentation. The effective advocacy one. Yeah, that was um, that was really really very interesting and. The point that he was making about where is partly is where we spend our money, but also should successful vegan businesses sell out to non-vegan companies. And he made the point that something like 90% of the top brands in the world are owned by seven or eight companies. And half of the vegan brands, which we, we may know, love and consume, are run by uh, organisations that also uh, are instrumental in some of the worst um, dairy farming and meat, meat producing practices. It's very, and, and, and Matthew is making a really interesting point about saying that perhaps we should be buying um, veggie burgers at Nando's because the more veggie burgers we buy at Nando's, the more Nando's is likely to become vegan. And, and it made me really think because I always, I always was much more of the opinion if we've, we've got a certain number of vegan pounds, we ought to spend as much of it as possible within vegan businesses and, and keep it within the vegan community. But as veganism grows and becomes more mainstream, we're going to have some really interesting questions to ask ourselves because there's a lot of elements of veganism which I don't think are compatible with capitalism. 
uh, in its traditional sense, because capitalism is... In its is, traditional sense. In its that's traditional the sense. That's okay. the important yeah. bit, though. Because capitalism in the, in the way it used to be. is all about exploitation <laughs> of resources. <laughs> and the resources that capitalism has used has been the resources of the planet, um, in terms of the environment. But obviously, you know, one of the biggest resources we've abused is that resource of animals as well. So can we... Is it possible to turn something which, at its essence, is all about taking resources and making as much profit as possible out of it and, and run it in an ethical and vegan way? Yeah, so I think that, yeah, we've, we have a lot of debates, and, and to be honest, being in, 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 a, in a business, you have a lot of debates like this. And um, I think for us, it goes back to that awareness and that relationships. And I think if you, if you are, have a great relationship with the supplier and you're, you're both making profit and you're both not taking advantage of the other, then I think that's a, that's a really good start in terms of forming that kind of capitalist relationship, but in, in a way, I don't know if anyone's read the book by the founder of um, Whole Foods, but he talks a lot about crony capitalism, mm -hmm. which is where, where we've been for a long, long time. And I think uh, vegan businesses now have an opportunity, and ethical businesses have an opportunity to show the world that there is a different kind of capitalism out there. Maybe it shouldn't be called capitalism. Maybe we need to come up with a new term for it. <laughs> but um, I do think there is a way forward, a path forward, that has capitalist um, elements uh, but are, are, are one run quite differently than, than how it's been. And hopefully, and I think, I think a lot of businesses, plant-based businesses especially, are running their businesses that way, well, hopefully. Yeah, purpose-driven yes. business. Yeah. You know, I, I think capitalism... It's not just about profit. It's no. about people, planet, animals. It's, it's, and there's a lot of businesses out there that are attempting to do that right now. And at SUMA, that is obviously something yeah. you guys have been at the forefront of promoting for decades. And yeah, so we have... One of, the, one of the things that we've missed out of the equation about exploitation and capitalism is people. Yeah. And yeah. we are, you know, as, as employers and employees, we are always exploited, usually by the capitalist machine. So for me, um, a lot of it is about, I think you can be ethical and still make a profit. I think if you want to have a business, you have to make a profit or you have to at least be aiming to make a profit mm. because otherwise then what you don't have business, then you have, you have something else. Um, that's, you know, if you're not making money, then you don't have a business. Um, but for me, it's what you do with your profit, and it's yeah. what you. Yeah. It's, firstly, it's how you make it, and then secondly, it's what you do with it. And I, I think it's very important to make sure that you run your business in a way that minimises your exploitation on the planet and on and on animals mm -hmm. and on natural resources, but also so you're minimising the exploitation of people. Mm. Um, I one of the key principles of SUMA is minimum wage is, is minimum wage, not even minimum wage, is <laughs> equal pay, which is far above <laughs> far above minimum wage. Um, and we all, everybody at SUMA earns the exact same hourly wage. We all earn fifteen pounds sixty an hour, no matter how long we've been there, no matter what job we do. Um, and that is a real, that's something that I'm very passionate about because I think that because then we're not, because we own the business as a workers' cooperative, the business is owned by the workers. Uh, we are not exploiting ourselves, we are working for the benefit of us, ourselves, and our profit is things that we share collectively, create collectively, and then distribute collectively too. Um, and I think getting all, getting all political, um, Marx, <laughs> Marx actually said that worker-owned cooperatives um, were potentially a vehicle that could take us from the traditional form of capitalism to something, to, to something that was more, which was less exploitative of ourselves as people and as a workforce. In cooperatives, we own the means of production. You're in the right place to get political. We're here at Lush. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's all about politics. We can just go, go wherever you want. Anyone got a little red book? I think it's really interesting to talk about the cooperative model. And there are other alternative kind of models coming out there. Obviously, One Planet Pizza crowdfunded 
yeah. uh, are co-owned by um, people in the in the plant-based vegan community. And you know, there are other models out there like B Corps and mm -hmm. social enterprise mm -hmm. models. I don't, yeah. Have you guys had any thoughts about whether they have a part to play in the future of uh, business? Well, I'll pass over to you guys, but isn't it really interesting how few... Because I love... We went up and did lunch at Suma. It was very tasty. He told me about, he told me about it. Yeah, and so it was good. one of the best uh, lunches we ever did. And I have to say, you know, the enthusiasm and motivation of the workforce was, was incredible. I've never been into... I've been uh, with my other company, uh, done consultancy with quite big companies and uh, working on the culture and the workforce. But you've got that, you know, and it's... It's so obvious that everyone has bought into it. It's, it's an absolutely brilliant model. Isn't it interesting that so few vegan businesses are setting up as cooperatives? Yeah. Mm. You know, and and, and, and when I first turned vegan many, many years ago, probably 50% of vegan businesses were cooperatives. You know, our local health shop, two of our local health shops were cooperatives. The bakery was a local cooperative. These days, vegan businesses don't seem to be going down that, that model. I just I wonder why that is. It's a very good point mm. because also the certainly the worker cooperative, just generally, if it's a worker cooperative or any kind of co cooperative, the business model is very stable. Mm. Um, every year we're at the Cooperatives UK, who are the UK body that kind of govern cooperatives, put out a report on the cooperative economy in 2018. The figures this year for businesses, kind of normal non-cooperative businesses, um, only 44% of them survive their first year wow. of existence. When it's a cooperative, it's 80% of the businesses survive their, their first year of trading. Um, so it's a very stable model. And I like, to, I like to believe that that's because you're sharing that risk amount amongst other people. You know, our other speakers have talked about how scary it is to go it alone, um, and how and how frightening that can be. But in a cooperative, you're doing, you're not going it alone. You've got other people around mm. you. You've got other people to help you, to support you, to bring your ideas together, and and to really get that business off off the ground. And it shows in the facts and the figures as well. Cooperatives are a very effective business model. They're more ethical, but they also work. In terms of funding a co-op. Uh, What's the funding landscape like if anyone here is thinking, OK, a co-op might work for my business? Because I know you're saying in the past, Mike, that co-ops were being set up more so than they are now. Is that because the, fund, the funding was there from the government or from banks, like loan small, small business? We'll come on to talk this, about yeah. this later, but as small startups, businesses just don't want to touch you, you know, and that's why there's so much interest in private equity based yeah. funding or crowdfunding. You couldn't crowdfund a co-op. I don't, well, correct me if anyone in the audience, but I don't think they're compatible because uh, you know, the, the way crowdfunding is set up, it's set up typically for a three, four, five year exit with lots of money being made by uh, everyone, hopefully, anyway. Um, but I don't think, I don't think it's um, compatible with that for crowdfunding. And certainly it's more, uh, the co-ops, the worker co-ops I know in this sector have been founded by by the people, you know, 10 or 11 like-minded people coming together and all putting in the money to start it off themselves. And then I guess eventually, if you, you may be able to go to, you know, to a bank to get loans and things like that, but it'd be quite hard to get, you know, in, individuals to invest in a co-op, do you think? There is, um, it depends. There is, yeah. I mean, there's, there is, there's actually lots of funding available to start um, um, new co-ops. 
And there's an, or Co-ops UK have an offshoot which is funded by the Cooperative Bank, um, which is called The Hive, which has quite a big pot of money um, to set, start up new co-ops. And they also provide free training, and they also pro, you know, they provide mentoring and that kind of thing to really help new, grow new co-ops. So there is there's quite a lot of funding available. There's also quite a lot of new co-ops um, turn into multi-stakeholder co-ops. So it's not just the people running the business, but it's also their customers or people in the local community all come together to start that co-op and then um, create that business. And if you can have an element of social enterprise, so if, you're, if your business is something related to doing some good in your local community, there's actually a huge pot of funding from the government at the moment. Anyone remember the big society? You know, <laughs> that idea? Well, actually, there's millions of pounds sitting in a big society funding um, for things, for businesses that have a social Who said David Cameron didn't do anything for this? <laughs> <laughs> Probably nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. And so if you can come up with a business model that somehow has a social element into it, then there's actually masses of funds there that you can access and help it going. And there's, in the UK, certainly there's lots of cooperative de development agencies which will help set you up and help you access that funds. A lot of them do pro bono work, um, which is great. And also when it comes to the sort of funding, I think having people who understand your business and that you're doing business in a different way is a very, very important thing too. So there, um, there's a wonderful cooperative, uh, cooperative who are a group of accountants called Third Sector Accountancy. Um, and they specialize in doing account, accounting and finance for value-based businesses, so for cooperatives, for charities, and for other things. And so having people who work in those sectors who understand different business models can be really, really valuable too. Talking about funding, and uh, maybe it's one for you guys, as a food brand, mm. you guys have gone down uh, finding private, private investment. Yes. Yeah. How did you go about finding investors who fit with your, your values as a company? How did, that, how did that come about, and how has that relationship mm -hmm. been? Well, so, first of all, it's not necessarily easy finding people who not only see the value of your business, but also of what you're doing. So it's a lot of talking to people, making sure that you're on the same page. Um, for us, we were essentially looking for two things. One, people kind of know what they're doing within the sphere that we're operating, and the other, the other thing was um, trusting in our long-term vision. So it's not just buy out in three, five years. It's not just a get-rich-quick scheme. Um, these are people who are passionate about long-term goals, objectives, whether that's sustainability or you know, the improvement of our food chain supply, whatever. So we basically talked to a lot of people. Um, at the beginning, we had no idea what we were doing and just sort of Definitely. <laughs> evolved over time. And we understood that we had an idea of what we wanted to accomplish and worked on sort of chipping away until that became a more fully formed vision that we could go to somebody. And then you know, there was a connection, basically, if, if we told them that and we saw that they were responsive, they were asking the right questions, they were saying the right things, then we knew that's a person we wanted to talk more too. Yeah, and I think it was really interesting is that the majority of our investors aren't actually vegan. Um, they, they're producing and, and they understand, but mostly for them, I think that they understand that um, versus maybe 10 years ago when greenwashing was a big thing and you could kind of get away with saying, saying you're doing something but really be quite unethical on, in the background. Um, now, investors and, and the investors that we have on board, which are come from some of these big corporations, um, you know, the retired or whatever, and um, they see now the opportunity of actually having a fully transparent, fully ethical vegan business. They they understand that there is value in that, 
um, and they uh, they would never want us like when we were talking about, for instance, compostable packaging with them, and that this was something that we wanted to look at seriously. They were like, absolutely, that is 100% the right thing. There was no talk about how it was going to cost us more, how it would potentially affect our business. It was just do the right thing, um, you know, for for the business and for the planet and for your your goals and your mission, because that is what is going to give you um, the longevity. Um, of a business, um, if you if you're looking now at food businesses that don't have that long-term mission um, and are just here to kind of say a bunch of kind of lies up front and and not really deliver on the mission standpoint, um, we don't think they're going to be around in the next five, ten years. And definitely with Brave, we want to be. So, um, yeah, it was it was surprising to us actually when we started having these meetings with some of these big people and they they just got it. Um, I think we've reached a point now where veganism is now seen as something that, you know, is very infestable. And I think yeah. Paul spoke about his relationship with Jam Jar and, you know, when they said, we're, we're going plant-based, they're like, great, this yeah, is, makes sense. we're to totally with this. There may not be yeah. vegan investors as such, but they, they totally see that veganism is a big part to play in sort of a more positive vision of the future that we're yeah. working to create. So I think there are investors out there and you'll be surprised actually quite pragmatic people from yes. big business are now saying, okay, we want this in our portfolio. And they also feel better about it, I think. I think it's kind of an investment that they they, they feel less dirty about versus maybe something else that they'd invest along Fossil the way. Fossil fuels? So, yeah. <laughs> Backo? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. So all, you, all of you guys' businesses are in the food sector. So I'm interested in a lot of the people here that say are running food businesses. How do you go about procuring ingredients and products that make up, you know, Brave, One Planet Pizza and Sumer yeah. products that are ethically sourced and produced in a sustainable way? Because, you know, we can say something's vegan and then put in nice packaging, but how do we make sure that what's going into it has, been, has come from a good place where people are respected, the environment's respected? Yeah, so for us, that was the most difficult part of our journey. It took us um, more than a year to actually find people that, um, A, believed in our mission, B, were local, um, C, that would take a chance on working with a startup. And um, we, we rejected you know, loads of people that we spoke to in China, in the Netherlands. We didn't actually want to work with anybody for our peas and obviously British farmers. Um, and peas themselves being one of the most sustainable sources of protein on the planet, we kind of felt, okay, well, there, there's a whole sustainability story here um, that, we, that we need to deliver on. So um, for us, all of our peas are grown, roasted, and packed within three hours of London. And so it was really important for us to find people local that, um, like our peas are grown in, uh, in East Anglia and, and Lincolnshire. We can go up, we, we went up a couple weeks to see the farms. Um, we know the farmers, we know the people that we source the peas from. So Did you just get up? get out the yellow pages of farmers and just start pulling yeah. people up. Was that, it, it was kind of, honestly, it was Google. Yeah, it was a lot of, yeah, was a lot of Googling <laughs> and like calling someone up and, and if they said no, it was like, can you please give me three other people that you think might, by chance, be able to help us. It's like Bob down the road does peas. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is lots, lots of pea farms in the UK, actually. Um, so it was, that was... That's interesting. We actually export a lot of fava beans, don't we? Uh, one of our biggest like yes, food product exports, exports yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, so that, that was kind of, for us, that just was part of our, we, we couldn't do and are not interested in doing business in any other way than, than working with people that, that are ethical, that are local, um, and that kind of get it, so. And Mike, yeah. you're up, up with the farmers in East Anglia. How do you yes. guys yeah. Yeah. About, about <laughs> making your great pizzas? Um, yeah, it's difficult when you want the finest Italian flour, isn't it? They don't produce a lot of that in East Anglia. Um, so let's say this is an area I think we could do a bit more work on. Yeah. Um, 
Partly because, you know, I mean, obviously the main ingredients in our pizza are, are the flour and the tomatoes. And we, have, we, we swapped over fairly uh, quickly to Italian tomatoes and Italian flour because they produce it specifically for pizzas. And one of the, uh, interesting area, we, we decided to go with Butte Island for our, for our cheese. Um, obviously, they're based up in, in Scotland. And, and they're, um, a great, they're a great company. In yeah, the yeah very, the very strong ethically. World, yeah. You know, been around... 35, 40 years making yeah. vegan cheese before, anyone, yeah, 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 before yeah. anyone knew what probably vegan their cheese first was. <laughs> yeah, we were. Um, so, and I, it was really interesting. Quick story. We were looking to... We changed our, our oil over from a, a fairly cheap oil to a, a really good quality, cold-pressed, single-sourced uh, rapeseed oil recently that is made literally 10, 15 miles away from, from our office. And we thought, this is fantastic. Crush, really nice brand, just starting to get out there... Um, you know, it's a really healthy oil. It's allowed us to, to say the pizzas are high, um, high in Omega-3 on our packaging, which we're about to announce. And we had, went up and had a really good meeting for them. It was going so, so well. Um, they, 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 it was a lovely, um, you know, small production unit owned by a, a, a young chap who was uh, you know, doing a really good job. The rapeseed was grown in the field next door. We yeah. were walking around, the sun was out. <laughs> and we got, then everything just seemed perfect. And then at the end, we went into the production thing and he said, oh, this is the byproduct of, um, of the rapeseeds. Mm. And, uh, and I can't, we shouldn't have asked the question, should we, Joe? But he said, well, what happens with those? Oh, he goes, oh, we sell them to the local pig farmer. And you think, okay, well, that's interesting, you know, because uh, yeah. up to then, it was a fantastic story, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, and I think Oatly had something similar happen to them, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and, and they've had, um, you know, had to sort of address that issue. And, and so it's not perfect, yeah. but what do we want them to do with it? You know, is it more important to, to should we then stop using that locally sourced, you know, fantastic cold-pressed oil yeah. just because one of their byproducts is being sold off to the local um, animal production? And when will it end up shipping it in from Italy again, yeah. you know, with all the, the air miles and, and everything else, it's a balance, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's from a holistic, a, holistic approach, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the holistic and, approach is saying, well, this, you know, balancing it all up, actually, it's much better to get it from 10 miles up the road and ship in something that's not being... If they're going to find it somewhere, it's better than, like you say, it doesn't come over on a boat or a plane yeah, or whatever. Yeah, that's right. From a fossil fuel perspective. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, that was an interesting one for us. We need to do more work on our on our ingredients. We know our fruit and veg is, uh, you know, is locally sourced and, and supplied. The flour, as I say, is a challenge. The oil is really, really, really good. Um, but it is all a compromise. Did that it? new oil, that new cold press oil, affect your margins like, per pizza? Did that? Yeah, mean? yeah, it's more expensive. It's definitely more uh, expensive. How do we get over that? Well, uh, our new packaging is going to have the Crush logo on. So you know, we managed to, um, mm. by doing some co-branding and saying that we'll help them know, um, promote their new uh, cold-pressed rapeseed oil. We're getting a, a price now which is slightly cheaper than buying the cheaper oil from a, you know, oh, a wholesaler. Good. It's taking that long-term view, isn't it, as well? Maybe yeah. your cost per unit will go up, but if you have a better product, you know, hopefully in time... Well, I think that's, that's absolutely key, because none of, none of our products are going to stand... Someone could come along very easily and replicate yes. uh, our products. 
So we can't, we can't fight on price. We've got to fight on other things. And the things that they won't be able to compete on will be you know, all of that um, um, softer stuff, isn't yes. it? Which would take them a long time to, to replicate. If, well, they they could, yeah. if they ever no, could. They yeah. and, and Jenny, I'd love to hear how you guys go about because you have so many products at Suma. So we, because yeah. we're a wholesaler, um, so yeah. we stock over 7,500 products. Um, <laughs> so that's an awful lot of products. Um, we don't, we, this is one of our compromises is that we can't always um, follow all of the ingredients on all of those products right back down to their source. But we do have our own range of Suma branded products where we are very diligent on where these things come from and we audit our suppliers, anything that we put our name on, everybody has an audit. We have a full back catalogue, we know where all the ingredients come from. We also do a range of our own range called Ecoleaf, which is eco-friendly cleaning products that are made in the UK and our own shampoos and soaps too. All of those are certified by Oh, what's the name? It used to be the BUAV, um, the International Cruelty Free. Yeah. One of those now. guys. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a <laughs> I'm a bit old school, so I still call them the BUAV. Cruelty Free International? Cruelty Free International. We're going to go with that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, that's the one. So, all, so everything's certified, and, and they, the standards that you have to have for their certification are very rigorous in terms of that you have to make sure that you have never animal tested or that any of your suppliers or any of their suppliers have ever tested any of their products on animals. Again, is there like a big book for this? If guys are in the audience and they've got food businesses and they need to source some ingredients, do you have a recommendation of where they can go just literally to, as a starting point? It very much depends on the product. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very, very difficult. Um, yeah. But again, it's, it's about choosing your suppliers carefully and also accepting sometimes when things might not be as you are. And it's, it's very complicated. Um, certainly food when there's multiple ingredients, like we sell chocolate. One of the things we used to sell was, um, which was a lovely vegan product, which was dark chocolate coated crystallized ginger. Um, mm. Really beautiful, but then we found out that when, when we looked into the product, that some of the cocoa, there was a chance that some of that came from the um, West Coast in Africa. And there's a lot of great things going on in the West Coast in Africa in cocoa farming. Check out Divine Chocolate, um, if you don't know them already. Um, but then there's also lots of child slavery that goes on in that region. And we could not be 100% sure that our lovely chocolate coated ginger was child slavery free. Mm. So we stopped selling it. Um, and, and we were open about the reasons why when customers asked us and said, yeah, we can't be certain on this, we really don't agree with this. So, yeah, we pulled that range. And trans transparency as a business, I think it's so important. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, to, sure. if you are facing an issue like that, to talk about that openly and how you're going to take steps to overcome that or to confront that challenge, I think is, is what people want to see. And just, I think, quickly, just a quick, to round up, um, question about culture. How do you create a culture? Obviously, you two are just, it's just you two at the moment? Uh, we have, it's us, we have a full-time um, field sales exec and then five brand okay. ambassadors. Great, all right. Yeah. So slowly how, growing. How have you gone about creating a, a culture that fits with your values within your organization and make sure that sort of spreads throughout? I'll start, with you, start with you guys. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. all right. Uh, so my, my theory on this is you can't, you can't really create culture. I think culture sort of feeds through the, the people at the top. So I've worked at different places, and basically, if your boss is a workaholic who is constantly stressed, your company culture is going to be that of a workaholic who is constantly stressed. If <laughs> yeah. you have, if you work for nice people who care about what they're doing, that generally becomes the culture. You you can do things, you can take care of your employees, and you can have events and team building sessions that helps. But I think ultimately, um, as as founders, and we have some people working for us, it's our job to give them the right amount of responsibility for where they're at right now. 
um, and make sure that they are constantly engaged and interested in what they're doing. And also to hire the right people and as well. To, absolutely. Um, I think yeah. we could have a whole panel took, on that. <laughs> yes, we took a while to find um, our field sales exec. He's not. He's actually from East Anglia. He's from where the peas grow, um, <laughs> but he he's not quite vegan. And that was like kind of a, a thing for us. Do we only hire vegans? Mm -hmm. And we actually decided against it. Um, <coughs> For a number of reasons, but um, but Will, he's he's now being part of the culture, now seeing kind of what it's like to live a vegan lifestyle. He was already quite switched on to everything within food, food itself, veganism, sustainability. So it's kind of for us about getting the right people in that share our vision for what we're trying to achieve, and then that when you have those right people in the business, that will create hopefully a culture that. And if you feed them want. enough brave snacks, exactly. right, they're just totally. going to come on board eventually. <laughs> then he's on board. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike, you, your business has been growing very quickly. And how have you sort of fostered We, we feed them pizzas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of slow movers then. Yeah, yeah a lot of slow movers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with Seba. I wonder why our, start, our workforce was so relaxed. And now, <laughs> the time, now I know. It's, it's Joe, not me, by the way. No, I think you're right. I don't think you can create a culture. You know, the, uh, bigger companies spend uh, thousands of pounds trying to create cultures, and usually, usually it fails. It's very difficult in large organisations. Um, you know, we should enjoy. I assume it is a large organisation or medium size well, at least. Large now, yeah, yeah, large getting up now. that way. While when you have a small business, then it's the it's a, you have to enjoy that opportunity to be able to create and help influence the culture because mm -hmm. as it gets bigger, it gets more and more, more and more um, difficult. I think. You know, we try to um, our sort of market positioning, our our brand, if you like, is is um, is all about you know, being f doing things a little bit different, as we say up in Norfolk. Do different, we say out there. <laughs> Do different, and, uh, and hopefully having fun while while we you know make a, a product that's enjoyable and yeah. and that, and and um, you know, tasty as well. And we just try and got to try and get that into the work workforce. I think it's really interesting about employing vegans, non-vegans. Um, yeah. I don't think you can go down that, uh, that route. You know, we even had um, big staff discussions about whether the non-vegans should be able to bring non-vegan yeah, food in point. to eat at lunch. Wow, yeah. You know, it's great, yeah. isn't it, when you, all these things come up and you have to make, you know, have to have what, policies. Yeah, what is well, the, we, the, well, we had to compromise in the end. Um, so we've got a, a staff yeah, area. We can't bring, we say nothing that's non-vegan come anywhere past the staff Red area. Line. In the staff area, um, they can have, and I, I know it's very arbitrary, but they can have milk and dairy, but not fish and meat. So we do have people that bring in their lunch and then go and sit out in the car to have wow. their lunch because yeah. they want a ham sandwich. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it, there's no right or wrong. Imperfect world. It's an imperfect yeah. world. Yeah. yeah. And Jenny, I, it's, I guess you've got a very unique culture at Suma, and it's. As, as is very unique, we have the same thing. We, we actually has, we have we have a QGM, which is quarterly general meeting, where we all get together and vote on proposals mm. and things that we want to implement. Is there, is there a lot of hand waving? Do we do that? Yeah, least. a little bit. It's, yeah. it's more aesthetic a lot of times. So on a Friday <laughs> evening at like 6 o'clock and everyone just wants to go to the pub. Yeah. So it's a bit <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we had, to, we had to introduce a policy um, about making our site vegetarian because we're vegetarian. We're a vegetarian organisation, yeah. not an entirely vegan organisation. Um, but we, get, we had people, we had some incidents where... Our receptionist kept on eating, or somebody, not our receptionist, somebody who worked on reception kept on eating bacon sandwiches on reception. Um, so obviously when people, we're a vegetarian company, walk through, here's a bacon sandwich, great. Um, so, we, um, so we voted through a policy that said our building would be vegetarian. Yeah. And so if people want to eat a bacon sandwich, they can, but they have to do it outside in the car mm. park. Um, but I think you're totally right about setting examples and recruitment being massively important in terms yeah. of culture. 
And it's also about what you value as well. Like for us, food is a big part of what we do. And like you, you feed everyone pizza. You know, we get a free, we get a free vegetarian plus vegan options with gluten-free options, cooked dinner every day. So two of our members cook it for for the rest wow. of us in the canteen. Um, and we usually have cake too. Um, Can I just say their staff canteen? I know you. <laughs> so you, you, you like, and to be honest, I met, we met with Mike, me and Judy, and he was like, oh, Suma, it's amazing up there, you know. God, I'm like, well, how can I go there? But all I talked <laughs> about was, I didn't talk about the company at all, it's just about the food at lunch, <laughs> <Yeah>. isn't it? <laughs> Incredible well, lunch. We're quite passionate about yeah. our food, and a few times when we've been looking at cutting budgets, it's been like, oh, well, should we not have dessert in the canteen anymore? <laughs> Don't take my Don't take my cake. <laughs> so, and I think it's just about it's just about putting your values and your principles. And I think for vegan and plant-based businesses, mm. values and principles are often at the heart of what you do. And yeah. if you put that at the heart of your business and build your business around the principles instead of around the cash, then you're going to get that good culture. Yeah, and you're going to have to compromise on the way. I think that's been a lesson mm. throughout this. You're going to have to make tough decisions sometimes when we live in this imperfect non-vegan world. And but if you start with the values at the beginning and keep keep always keep coming back to those, I don't think you can go far wrong. Okay, well, I'd like to thank Jenny, Mike, and Amber and Seb for being on this panel. I hope you all enjoyed thank it. You. Yeah. Thank you. It's been a few months since we launched this podcast, and well, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Do you like the talks from our events format? Would you like to see more conversational pieces like roundtable discussions? If you have any suggestions, email damien at vevolution.co with your thoughts and ideas. As always, thanks for listening to this episode of the Vevolution podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, please leave us a favourable review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until the next time, take care and we'll look forward to seeing you soon.